0: My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel Bible, and if you've been coming regularly, then no doubt you've noticed that July, unofficially, is Associate Pastor Month. So, just hang on. We're just trucking through Colossians. It's been uh, a great trek. Uh, We've got two more passages we're going to look at, one today, uh, and then one next week, and then Ross will join us to begin a new series. So, um... Last year, for the very first time in my life, I went duck hunting. And I know that's a, a big East Texas thing, and I got to do that, and it was a great time. And before I went, I was warned ahead of time. At some point along the way, you're probably going to be wet, cold, and tired. Well, sure enough, by the end of it, I was all of the above. I was wet because it had been raining the whole time, I was cold because it was mid-December, and I was tired because we left at 4.25 a.m. I mean, that's some dedication right there. But uh, with that all said and done, I had a blast, literally. It was a, it was a great time, but um, honestly, there was, uh, there was one there who had more fun than me, and it's not because he was a better shot than me, which, which really isn't saying much, but the Labrador Retriever the, the guide's lab had the most fun out of all of us. I mean, this lab was clearly born and bred and trained to do exactly what he was doing. And, you know, really, as much fun as I had hunting the ducks, I, I want to say I had just as much fun watching this lab work. Oh, it was just incredible. It was, it was impressive. And, and what I saw was as the guide sat and called the ducks, the lab just sat there with him. As the guide got up and walked, the lab followed right behind him. And as the guide made commands and gestures where the lab was to go, that lab would jump time and time again right into that freezing cold pond and retrieve those ducks. He was loyal to that guide. He was watchful. Every move, every command, every gesture, that lab responded to the guide. And we as Christians, we observe these things. And with our redeemed imaginations, we can get a glimpse of who our master in heaven is and who he has called us to be as his disciples. Last week, the final verse in our passage was the fact that we have a master in heaven, the Lord Christ. He has purchased us by his very life for a purpose. Now, here in Tyler, we live in a community that, in many ways, its institutions are governed by standards of Christ. I mean, it's just, we call it a bubble, and it's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking that. It's a a great thing in many ways. But we hear of changes around the world, uh, animosity growing towards Christ, towards Christians, towards our way of life. And I don't think it will take much convincing on my part that Animosity in some sense is swelling, even here in East Texas, towards who our Lord is and what He's called us to do, our lifestyle, our standard of living. And so this morning, the the passage we're going to look at, we're going to address this question. As, As this animosity seems to be swelling around the world, towards Christ, towards Christians, and even here in East Texas, what would the Lord have us to do? Our master in heaven, what is is our posture towards unbelievers? What would he have us to do as far as it relates to the unbelieving world, even those that are hostile toward Christ? Now, this sermon is just a snapshot. It will not answer the totality of that very large question, but it will point us in the right direction. And so our text is Colossians. Chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 2 through 6 today. And in doing so, we're going to be talking about our life of prayer and our life of professing Christ. These are two core elements we're going to zero in on as we look at a passage dealing with the believer's posture towards an unbelieving world, even a hostile unbelieving world. So, read with me. Uh, or follow along as I read uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So our first look will be at our life of prayer, and in verse 2, we see this command, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, another translation is devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, the idea of devoting or continuing steadfastly is be busily engaged with prayer. Busy yourself with prayer. Now uh, we are busy all day long with jobs, with family, with uh, tasks around the house. So how do we busy ourselves with prayer if we're already busy doing everything else? Uh, Prayer is to be woven into the fabric of our daily lives in a couple ways. The first is like icing on a cake. No matter how you slice it, you get a, a little bit of icing. Prayer is to be like icing on the cake of our lives so that no matter how our day is sliced up, we are spontaneously praying To God. We are just spontaneously lifting up praise or thanks or making requests known or interceding to God. But prayer is also to be a a post marker throughout our day where we devote ourselves to a time or times of seeking God in prayer. So, one definition of prayer that I've come to enjoy is prayer is. Pouring our hearts out to God. It's pouring our hearts out to God. And that that paints a pretty good picture in the sense that we are needy and he is merciful. And we are pouring our hearts out to God in in adoration, in confession of sins, in thanksgiving, in petition for ourselves and intercession for others. He, He hears us. We are the needy. He is the merciful. But I'll be honest, my natural inclination when I pray is is generally for myself first. Is is this just me, or are there others here who will admit that when we pray, it's usually because we have something that we need God to do for us, and that's part of prayer, but it's not all of prayer, which uh, I think... Paul knows this, Uh, certainly the Lord knows this, that's why in verse 2 he tells us to be, if you look at verse 2, he tells us to be watchful in it, with thanksgiving. These are qualifiers or descriptions how we are to pray, the manner in which we are to pray, and as we'll see, when we do this, it actually shapes our lives, so in the context of Colossians, uh, Paul telling them to be thankful, and us as well, sinners uh, on Christ. This whole book is the supremacy of Christ, as well as His sufficiency for the Christian. And so our prayers of thanksgiving are to be centered upon what God has accomplished for us in Christ He has mercifully and graciously saved us from sin. And He has given us Christ's righteousness that we might have a right standing with God now and forever. Our greatest need has been met already. So let's thank Him for that. And as I said, when we pray with this sort of thanksgiving, it it shapes our outlook. It really does. It affects how we see ourselves, how we see the world, how we see the Lord, how we see our role in relationship with the Lord, how we see our role in our relationships with others because our greatest need has already been met. Uh, In the springtime, uh, my house was covered in this yellowish, greenish pollen? Is it, was it just my house? Was God trying to tell me something? Or was everyone else's house just covered in this, this pollen? Well, it was piled on uh, so thick on my windows that my house was actually dimmer and darker because of it. The, the natural lighting was, was blocked from, from coming in. I like natural light, so I was not happy. What did I do? I, I went out and uh, clean cleaned the windows. My girls came and helped me. They loved to squirt anything with the water hose, so it was a blast for them. So we're just spraying the house, cleaning the, the windows, and you know what happened after I cleaned those windows? I went back inside, and I was amazed at how much brighter my house was. Prayer of Thanksgiving is very similar in its effect upon our lives. I don't have to to tell you that our lives can be piled on with needs, with wants, with fears of what-ifs, and as these things just pile on to our life, our outlook actually becomes dimmer. We no longer see things from the Lord's perspective, but from our very own. And as we go to Him in prayer, whether spontaneously or at set times throughout the day, little by little it seems that the windows of our, our life are washed, and things are a little brighter because we know that in Christ our greatest need has been met, and He is continually working in our lives. So let's look now at the other manner in which we are to pray, and it's, it's watchfulness, uh, we see this here uh, also in verse 2. We are to be, to be watchful in prayer. Now, uh, to be watchful means to be awake. It means to be alert. And it's the opposite of, of being asleep. Um, that, that Labrador was very watchful. He was very alert. I didn't catch him snoozing one time. So... Uh, God calls us to be watchful, to be alert to the Lord, to our master in heaven. In fact, in Matthew, let's see, 26, verse 41, Jesus bids Peter, John, and James, as they're praying in the garden of Gethsemane, before his arrest, to to be awake and pray with me, lest you fall into temptation. Now, the reason that God calls us to be wake is, is crucial. Now, this is, a, this is a, a theological aspect of our lives being Christians that you need to be aware of, that I need to be reminded of in order to understand the thrust of this passage. It's, it's meaning for us. We serve as Christ's representatives, no one else. The Spirit of Christ indwells us, and we represent the Lord in this unbelieving world. And as we do this, we are commissioned to call people to faith in Christ. And they watch us. And as we're watching the Lord, as we're alert to Him and they're watching us, they should get a glimpse of Christ. And then in so doing, we are able to share with them what marks our life, who this savior is that we're following we share with them this message that has changed our life and there's another crucial facet to this this watchfulness it's more than just a a command to do it's important that we realize that the lord greatly values that we accurately represent him so much so that each and every one of us will give an account to the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, we are to be alert. We are to be awake. Our eyes, our gaze is to be upon our Master. Our our ear is to be tuned to His voice through the Word, by the Spirit. Now, let me share with you a story of... um, from my own life when I was not so watchful. I am an avid Texas Longhorn football fan. Um, I I never played football in high school, so maybe I'm I'm strange, but I love Texas Longhorn football. I'm a graduate of UT. When I was a senior at college, Vince Young took us all the way, and (laughs) I'm always gonna be a fan. The Texas OU football game is our greatest rivalry. Sorry, Aggies, you guys are number two. Um, OU is the one that we want to beat the most, and we play them every year. It's one of the biggest rivalries in football, and it just so happened that this year, excuse me, last year's football game fell on the birthday party of my three-year-old. Not just the same day, but kickoff was the same time as my three-year-old's birthday party. No problem, I told myself. I'm, I'm a man of God. I'm walking in step with Christ. I can just peek on the game every once in a while. And whether we're winning or losing, who cares? Uh, my priority is to, to my daughter, my family, and, and to represent Christ to all these dads and moms who, who might or might not know the Lord. Well, the game kicks off, and I'm in and out. And, oh, lo and behold... In the first half, we're up by 21 points. It's, I think, 21 to zero at one point. I am am just glued to the TV. I am elated. Well, second half comes along, and all these games are two halves. Unfortunately, this one was was two halves, and OU pulls their stud starting quarterback who was laying an egg that game, and they put in this, this freshman, who basically puts the whole team on his back and ends up destroying us. And it was the worst comeback or loss, it was the greatest comeback for OU, but I can't even say that. The worst comeback ever in OU's favor in the history of the rivalry, and I was devastated. I was so upset, I was visibly shaken. and. No longer watchful for what the Lord had for me in that moment to to be watchful to be alert to the master means you are aware of what he wants you to do in that moment and in that moment I was totally asleep to him I was totally absorbed in listening to the voice of another I was marching to the beat of Another and it was a it was a football team that I've never played for I just watched them on TV But it demonstrates that that we as people we so easily fall asleep And, and we have these competing passions these com- competing voices if if you will that we listen to and that we that we follow and at the very least they're distractions but at the very most they're idols that have captured our heart and that we devote ourselves to rather than our master who is in heaven, who has purchased us with his very life. So you're, you're in this with me. I'm in this with you. This is something we as God's people are doing together. And that's why Paul calls us to be busy in prayer Because the world is busy working on us. The enemy through the world is busy working on us. We we have the flesh still, these self-centered desires. That's why we are called to be devoted to prayer. This humble posture of seeking the Lord. It's it's in prayer that we are watchful. That we are tuned to His voice. That our, our gaze is upon Him. And this, this brings us to our second focus as we look at a passage dealing with the posture, the believer's posture towards an unbelieving world. And it's our profession of Christ. It's our profession of Christ. And, and as we'll see, our, our, our prayer and our profession, they really go together. One is the water in which the other is buoyant, our prayer and our posture, So, or excuse me, our prayer and our profession. So, looking at our profession of Christ, read with me again verses 3 through 4. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison." that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So, right off the bat, I want you to notice Paul's circumstances here. We we see that he is in prison. He he is in prison, verse 3, on account of being a follower of Christ who is professing Christ. Uh, That phrase, mystery of Christ, is essentially the gospel. You know, who Christ is, what He has accomplished for us. And, and this tells us a couple things. First, it tells us Paul is writing to us in a culture that was hostile towards Christ and Christianity. Now, Tyler, not so much, but it seems that it's it's bubbling up. It, it seems that there is a swell, possibly, of hostility coming our way, of, of, of our way of walking with Christ, the, the, the way in which we organize our institutions that could possibly be Uh, threatened at some point along the way. And and Paul is in this. And what he is doing is modeling for us the proper posture. What is his prayer request? It's not that, hey, let's, you know, let's have Christians take over this government thing so that we don't have to deal with persecution, which isn't a bad thing. But that's not his heart because that's not what God has called us primarily to do. His heart in his prayer is, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for us, pray for, pray for me, pray for us, that we'd have an opportunity to share the gospel and that I might share it clearly. He's not concerned of the circumstances. He's concerned of Christ. Christ. He's not concerned of the circumstances. His concern is Christ. He's watchful. He's thankful. He's modeling for us what it means to have a proper posture towards an unbelieving world that is even hostile towards us and our Savior. So true, Paul had a special calling, uh, but I want to clear up that his attitude, even his calling as an apostle, doesn't exclude the, the, the rank-and-file Christian from this. Although, as an apostle, he was charged with starting uh, some of the first churches around the known world, and uh, he was charged with uh, writing the New Testament or supervising the writing of the New Testament. But, but we as believers have been given this charge by Christ to represent Him, to profess Him, no matter the climate of the culture. And that's the posture that Christ would have for us. And this becomes explicitly clear uh, with Paul's commands to the rank-and-file Christian, us, in verses 5 through 6. Read with me verses 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, to walk is a metaphor for how we conduct our lives. And we know that Paul's command, how we are to walk, is in the context of outsiders. Those are outside the family of faith, unbelievers. And what we see here is Paul has an attitude of seeing unbelievers as those who have yet to trust in Christ. Those who have yet to trust in Christ. And I say that because he tells us to be, to be wise. Now on the one hand, to be wise means guard yourself from their, their sinful influence. Don't allow them to be the primary influence on, in your, your thinking, your desires, your behavior. Guard yourself from that. Be wise. But on the other hand, we see that he wants these believers to be wise in how they use their time. Wise in how you use your time with unbelievers. Now, time here is is more than just moments or opportunities, okay? By Paul saying Make the best use of your time. He's talking about this time that we call the church age. It's in between the Messiah, His first coming, and His second coming. And it's in this age that we have a time. A time to share the gospel. A time to walk by faith and not by sight. And for each of us, we have been given a measure within that time to represent Christ, to showcase to the unbelieving world who this Savior is, to profess with our words what He has accomplished, and to demonstrate the reality of our changed lives by loving one another, brothers and sisters, using the gifts we've been given. We have a certain time within this time span and we are to be wise in how we use it. And it goes back to this idea of being watchful because we belong to Him. He's the master. And we will be held accountable because our role is so valuable to Him. He purchased us that we might be His representatives in this So be wise in how you are to walk. In verse 6, we see Paul give us a way forward in our speech. Because so often it's in our speech that unbelievers get a flavor for who we are as followers of Christ. He says to be gracious and may your speech be seasoned with salt. Gracious speech is winsome, it's attractive, it's not condemning, it's not defensive, it's gracious. Speech seasoned with salt is both pure and penetrating. There's a depth to what drives you and it comes out in your speech. There's something different about how you see the world. You are grounded in something unshakable and your speech demonstrates that. Who does this remind you of? This is a picture of Jesus and if you read the Gospels and you see Jesus interact with unbelievers, not necessarily the the Pharisees who had totally forsaken their role. We see a picture of what it means to be gracious in your speech, to be seasoned with salt. It, it draws people in. It doesn't necessarily mean they believe everything you say, but it draws them in. And that's, that's our role, is to, to draw in the unbeliever, those who might or might not be hostile towards our Savior in the way of, of life in which we conduct ourselves so as this, as this swell seemingly builds here in East Texas, as alarm bells might be going off in our head about what we might lose, what we might be up against, what's our posture? As, as we watch the Lord, as, as, we, as we listen to Him, what would He have us to do in this context, in this culture What is it that He desires of us in this moment? Love the lost, just like the Lord. Love them, He does. That's our call. As I was thinking through how to apply this in my own life, I just so happened to be at another birthday party yesterday. I think it was for a three-year-old, but I'm not sure. It was a a dinosaur party. There were uh, dinosaur heads all on the walls, and the kids were eating their pizza with dinosaur hats. And the tiny little room was filled with parents uh, who may or may not know the Lord. How do I love them? How do I represent Christ to them in that moment? It's through genuine, open-ended questions and an attentive Ear to listen I demonstrated I love them by by asking them genuinely how are you guys doing how's your summer going if I knew them hey I want to add you to my prayer list is there anything I can pray for you in your life anything going on as you have coworkers who don't know the Lord family members who don't know the Lord, friends who don't know the Lord, one way we can demonstrate that we, we love them is by asking them open-ended questions, giving them a platform to, to genuinely share with us, someone who cares what's going on in their life. Uh, a question that, that is, is penetrating And it does demonstrate there's a depth to you that might be best asked uh, once you have established some level of trust with the unbeliever is what's going on in this world presently that makes you hopeful? What's going on in this world presently that makes you fearful? Asking those sorts of questions, draw them in. And when they are drawn into you, they are drawn into Christ. So that when the opportunity arises, we might have an audience to share with them who the Lord is, what He has accomplished on the cross, and how they too might experience the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. This is our posture. No matter the climate. Love the lost just like the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we love You. Thank You that You first loved us in Christ. Thank You that by His death on our behalf, we are forgiven and given the secure hope of eternal life. May we be people who demonstrate Our security is unshakable, and it's in heaven, secure for us. May we be people who love, who listen, and may they see Christ in us. We do pray your blessing upon Bethel as we present ourselves to you, O God, to be used by you as instruments of righteousness for your glory and the good of our neighbor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.